Celebrity gives you the power to shape the arts, politics, athletics, and the courts. Today we're going to discover that this tendency to worship superstars is hardly a new phenomenon. Even religious superstars were alive and well in the first century, but the Apostle Paul warned against these high flyers. As we join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, let's think about who has the power over our lives. Who do we want to look like, act like, and be like? I want to talk to you today about role models. Every single one of you have a role model. Let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is going to speak to us about role models, an authoritative example. Every one of you have role models. It's incredible the way people influence us. We have role models that determine the way we dress and the way that we talk and the kind of music we like to listen to. Every one of us have a role model. I want you just to stop and I want you to ask yourself, what is your role model? Who are some of the individuals, some of the fellas, some of the girls that you look up to, some of the men, some of the women that you look up to that you would like to be like? You got somebody now? All right. Now think about how those role models change. Think about some of your role models when you were younger and now that you're a little bit older. Think of how they change with time, all right? The Corinthians are in the process of changing their role model. When the Apostle Paul first came to Corinth, they were excited about him. They were committed to him. They believed in him. The thing that they were so excited about was not so much Paul but what Paul stood for, as we've been learning the last several weeks, the Apostle Paul, though he was not an eloquent preacher, was a very powerful preacher when he came to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole Corinthian church was excited about the gospel. They were excited about the certainty of salvation in Christ. But the Apostle Paul didn't come back for a couple of years, and that's a long time. In other words, to meet a guy, to have him present the gospel to you, set a lifestyle to you. Then he disappears. He went over to Ephesus and ran into some hard times over there, and he didn't come back to Corinth. Some of the Corinthians were exposed to some teachers right from within their group that were much more eloquent than the Apostle Paul, and they also told the Corinthians something that they wanted to hear. They told the Corinthians that they could be acceptable to the world that they could live in the city of Corinth and not have any conflict with the world of Corinth. He, they also said that as a believer, they were already kings, and there was an element of truth in that. But what these teachers went on to say is that you're kings right now. You can have all the money that you want now. You can have all the health that you want now. You can all be prosperous. You can all be successful. You as Corinthians can be free of suffering. Have any of you ever gotten tired of having to pray for the sick? Now, wouldn't you like to be in a church family where you could have a pastor teacher that the kids never got sick? He never got sick. Nobody in the congregation ever got sick. You see, if you would only believe enough, if you would only recognize that you are kings and priests and queens, which you are, if you would only realize that you're new creations in Christ, if you would only commit yourself enough to that, you could overcome all this sickness 
and suffering. And most importantly at all, you could overcome death. Now that would be a great teaching, wouldn't it? And if I could tell you, listen, if you believe strongly, you can all become multimillionaires. You can enjoy the kingdom now. Now that is popular teaching. In fact, that Corinthian teaching is being taught a great deal in the American church. It's very hard to teach that in the Nicaraguan church right now because a lot of their pastors are in jail. And it's awfully hard to teach that kind of health and wealth and prosperity gospel when you're in jail. But in the American scene right now, it flies pretty well. I guarantee if you flip on the radio sometime this week, you will hear someone telling you that. They'll usually add, you can have the kingdom if you just send me a little bit of money. What you don't realize is that you create some of the kingdom for the guy that's asking to send the money. You see, in order to verify that theology, in fact, if I taught you that theology, then I would teach you you need to get me a Mercedes, you need to put me in a court of a million-dollar house, you need to give me beautiful clothes, because I need to exemplify for you as a child of God that this theology works. Now, you all sitting there like that say, man, that's not what we buy. We would never be attracted by that. Oh, yes, you are. Contrary to what we think, we like someone to tell us that. You see, it underscores a dream that we have. We all want to have that kind of prosperity, that kind of health, that kind of freedom from sorrow. In fact, we want it so badly that if we can just create the illusion of it, if we can just create some far-off dream that somebody really does have the kingdom now, then that's almost good enough for us. That's the whole mentality of the Hollywood scene. The reason we pay those people such big money, the reason we tolerate such immoral behavior, the reason we tolerate all the extravagance is that there's the dream. Somebody's living that way off ideal dream. And that's motivating to us. It takes some of the boredom out of our life. We would expect the secular world to do it, the tragedy is it's easy for us as believers to do it. So what I want to do today is to talk to you about a role model, an apostle who's not a big star. In fact, this guy gets sick quite a bit. He doesn't usually get sick because he physically gets sick. He gets sick because people throw rocks at him and rocks hurt. When he goes to preach in a town, there's one group of people that would die for him. They love him so much. And he's such a dear believer. There's another group of people that throw him into jail every place he goes. And this fella ends up in a Roman Namartine prison with the rats, with the scum, forgotten. And then he has his head cut off. A superstar, super apostle. That's the way he ended up. But what I want to challenge you to do is that I believe that real Christianity, I believe that biblical Christianity is rooted in recapturing the heart and soul of what this man lived for. One of the conflicts that you're going to have to work through in your life is who are you going to follow? Who's going to be your role model? Who are you going to pat on your life after? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 has the audacity of telling his children in the Lord, follow me. 
He begins in verses 1 through 7 with a very strategic point that you need to ask yourself about all your role models. And that point is this. Are they keepers of God's secret? You should not follow any religious teacher that you cannot confidently say they are faithfully and carefully exposing the secret revelation, which is now not a secret, but it's recorded in the Word of God. Look at it in chapter 4, verse 1. So then men, and that refers to everyone, everyone ought to regard us, how should we regard the Apostle Paul? As a servant of Christ. All the apostles should be regarded as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. The very first thing the Apostle Paul tries to get across to the Corinthians is this. They are servants of God. The second word that's used, it's used like of a household steward. If you think back to the Old Testament, you think of a man named Joseph, who is the household steward of Potiphar, a high official in the Pharaoh's administrative structure. What was Joseph's responsibility? Joseph's responsibility was to carry out the will of his master. The Apostle Paul is saying that when you look at a religious teacher, when you ask yourself, who am I going to follow when it comes to spiritual truth? The Apostle Paul says that the number one thing that you need to ask yourself is not whether or not they're a powerful speaker, not whether or not they're good at public relations, not whether or not they remember people's names, not whether or not they're always there when I need them and they follow my beck and call above everything. The Apostle Paul says when we evaluate spiritual leadership, we need to ask ourselves, are they servants? Are they household stewards of the secrets of God? The Apostle Paul is making an incredible statement. We learned in chapter 2 that there's no way through our own human wisdom, we cannot start with our human reason, our human intuition, and go from our life reason our way to eternal life you can't do that some of you out some of you will be exposed this week there's lots and lots of people who feel like my conscience is my guide i think this way about it really stop and think about the audacity you're standing before god and you say god i figured it all out i figured out how to get into your house and God says, well, good. How do you think I get into your house? And you say, well, I'll tell you what. I took a consensus of opinion in my work, and most of the guys thought they were pretty good guys. In fact, compared to religious people, they felt they were as good as everybody else. They did some kind things. They paid their bills. They were relatively faithful to their families. They were good old guys. And we decided that that would be the basis that you'd let us 
into heaven. Do you like that, God? Now, I want you to stop and think about the audacity of that. Because that's one of the most unbelievably weird and wrong viewpoints that we have as human beings. We have the idea that we can figure out what God is like. We can figure out what the criterion is. We can figure we're okay. And God says in his holy word, you can't do that. You see, when I stand before God, I don't set the criterion. He sets the criterion. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I received a revelation from God. God himself, through his Holy Spirit, told me the rules of the game. He told me the entrance requirements, and it's very clear. Believe in the crucified Savior that died for you. Believe that that crucified Savior conquered death, put all your confidence in the Son of God, and totally as a free gift, totally undeserved, you will be declared righteous before God. Now, you can sit there and say, I think that's absurd. It is relatively absurd in some ways. You can feel like, I don't like that. I want to work for that. Fine and good. But I want everybody in this room to realize, and I don't want you, when we get beyond, I don't want anybody to come up to me and say, David, why didn't you tell me what the rules were? Why didn't you tell me how to get into that place? I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. Don't turn it into what a Baptist preacher says. Who cares what a Baptist preacher says? Don't turn it into what, what an evangelical teacher says. Don't turn it into what a fundamentalist teacher. I could care less what any of them said. My faith that I'm resting in is that the Apostle Paul had a revelation from God. And it's very clear. You want to go to heaven? It's the way of the cross. It doesn't make sense humanly from a human rational perspective, but it doesn't make any difference because you don't determine the game. By simple childlike faith, just open your heart to it and you'll get in. The Apostle Paul is saying that above all things, the man that you should choose as your role model is the man who believes in that apostolic gospel message. I don't care what the label is on the outside of the can. If the content is the holy gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. We can have our sins forgiven by committing ourselves to that person of Jesus, an unseen Jesus that we believe is very much alive. If that's the contents inside, then we have someone who's preserving the gospel and the truth of God. And the Apostle Paul goes on and says that he could care less whether or not they judge him. Now, this guy's tough-minded, and I can really identify with him because, to be honest with you, I'm in the people business in one way. In fact, all of you have joked around. I remember one time we were cleaning up the church, and it was a year after we got in the building, and this guy said to me, he says, man, it's a miracle. You're still here. Most churches would have thrown you out by now. We built a building. Everybody gets mad at one another. Now the preacher leaves. You see, that's a mentality that a lot of you are in. Now, why is that? Because people in church families get angry with one another. They get angry with their preacher. They get angry with their elders. They get angry with one another. And often, some of you have, have preachers in the family. I love to talk to brothers who have preachers in the family. Because most of them feel very badly for their brother 
because people in churches give them such a hard time. Now, a lot of that hard time comes because both churches and pastors do not understand what the Apostle Paul is really saying. The Apostle Paul says, first of all, that as a pastor, I have freedom. I'm not a man pleaser. The role of my ministry is not to please you Corinthians. And I say, why not, Paul? You need to please the Corinthians. He says, no, I don't. The fundamental foundational requirement of my life is one thing. The foundational requirement of my life is faithful to my master. Am I faithful to my master? And the master is not unclear about what the requirement is. He says the fundamental requirement is to be true to the holy revelation of Scripture, to the gospel message at the core of that. And the Apostle Paul says that's the foundational responsibility that I have. And therefore, I don't care what you Corinthians think. The Apostle Paul is one of these rare individuals that could look at his people, people that he loved, people that he would give his life to, but people that he was not manipulated by or controlled by. The Apostle Paul never concerned himself with what people thought. They asked John MacArthur, just a precious brother in the Lord out in L.A. one day, they said, who do you preach for on Sunday morning? Who do you try to speak for on Sunday morning? He said, do you, they said, do you try to speak to the intellectuals in your group? He said, no, I really don't. They said, do you try to speak to the children in the group? He said, no, I really don't try to speak to them. Who do you try to please, John? Who are you trying to, to make feel good on Sunday morning? Who in the audience? He says, nobody out there in the audience. He says, John, what are you talking about? He says, on Sunday morning, I have one concern. When I'm all done, is God pleased? Is God pleased? Now, that sounds like a very simple thing to say, but for every one of you, there's tremendous freedom in that. You know, I wouldn't pastor for a week if my responsibilities depended upon how people in the congregation feel about me. Because it's impossible for me to please you. It's impossible for me to meet all your needs. It's impossible for me to say what you want me to say. In fact, I guarantee you, I will say something that will irk you so badly that you might get right with God. Because as we study the Word of God during the week, the Word of God irks me. God says a lot of things that just cut right across my personality. Things that I hate. In fact, the things that I get the most angry about are the areas where the Lord needs to do the most work in my life. And the Apostle Paul had the freedom to say the only thing that counts is whether or not I'm faithful to my master. Now, he's not arrogant. He's not one of these guys that just doesn't care less about other people's viewpoints, who's not open to criticism. The Apostle Paul was incredibly open to criticism, if it could be shown to be biblical. And what I want all of you to realize, I don't ask you and nobody asks you to believe what I teach you unless the Spirit of God works through the book, the holy revelation of God, to cause you to realize that's God's message for me. And I want you to feel free to talk about it, ask questions. There's total freedom to interact about the book.
But I want you to know from my depths of my heart, and I want you to pray for me in this, because I'm not always consistent with it. There's a part of my personality that cares very much what you think. In fact, if I find out one of you is bent out of shape, man, I'll just do everything I can to get it right. It's my personality. I don't like people to be upset with me. But I'm maturing in that. And the Lord's causing me to realize sometimes it's good for people to be really upset. Sometimes they need to get crossways with you, especially when the book is confronting them, when the book is convicting them. And the Apostle Paul had that freedom. Now, this, the third area the Apostle Paul brings up is he says, I'm right in my conscience. Now, a lot of us w- couldn't say that. You know, I don't, you know, the Apostle Paul is an incredible man. He says, as far as I know, I've examined my life, everything looks clear to me. Now, how many of you could say that? I mean, how many of us can say, I've thought things through, I've analyzed things in my conscience. As far as I know, everything's fine in my life. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, my conscience is clear, verse 4. Most of us would think, if we could say that, boy, that's a sure thing everything's all right. I hear that all the time. Well, my conscience is clear. Some of the most deceived people that I know say stuff like that. My conscience is clear. They just knife somebody. My conscience is clear. Do you realize what Paul is saying? Do you know what? You can't even trust your own conscience. Do you know that? See, some of you will say, well, Dave, I think everything will be all right with God because my conscience is clear. Have you ever stopped to think about it? Maybe your conscience is all wet. Maybe your conscience is totally distorted about reality. Maybe you're looking at things totally wrong. Maybe your conscience has been trained wrong. Maybe it's given you the wrong signals. You see, the man and woman of God doesn't even trust in their conscience. Not that, it, not that it's never a reliable guide to the truth. Your conscience at times is equivalent to the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But don't have the prideful arrogance to think that I can make a judgment. The Apostle Paul said in verse 4, it doesn't make me innocent. It doesn't make me righteous before God. It doesn't make things certain that everything is pleasing between myself and him just because my conscience is clear. He said, it is the Lord who judges me. I want to say that again. The only way that any of you are ever going to enter into the truth, the only way that any of you are going to enter into freedom, the only way that any of you are really going to find that joyous maturity of finding out the truth about yourself is to recognize the Lord judges me. And I want all of you to realize, as soon as I say that, some of you go, oh, no, here we go, man. I don't want God to judge me. God's down on me. He hates me. He doesn't like me. That's wrong. I want you to see what Paul goes on to say. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. And some of you are in pins and needles about the Lord's coming. Some of you are are trying to please God. You're really trying to grow in the Lord. You've made a lot of progress in the Lord. You're learning to walk as a disciple, but you feel so inadequate. You feel like God is going is to spank the living daylights out of you. But notice what Paul says. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. You know how most of us would have written that verse? I'll read it. Let me change a little bit. 
he will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. And he will expose all the terrible motivations of the human heart. At that time, each one of us will be criticized by the Lord. At that time, every one of us will lose our reward. How many of you ever feel that way in your relationship with God? In fact, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, how do you think God evaluates your life today? You know what most of you would say? Man alive, it's terrible. Nothing's going right. And there's a part of you that's true. There's a part of me that that's true. There's a part of me that the motivations aren't right. There's a part of me that has mixed values and messes everything up. But you know, when I received Christ as my Savior, and this happened in your life, those of you that believe, the Lord really did do something. And you know what? The Heavenly Father in heaven, in this judgment, we're not talking about the condemnation of unbelievers in these verses. We're talking about the reward of believers. And I think it's very hard for us as believers to recognize that when we stand before the Lord, it's going to be a praise time. It's going to be a time when the Lord singles out some of the truly Christ-like things that you have done. And he'll know them all. He'll know your motives. He'll know everything that was involved in it. And it says that we'll each receive our praise from the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul did talk about a false teacher who turned away from the gospel, who instructed people wrongly, who was snatched out of hellfire by the, by the skin of his teeth. And the Lord said, his spirit will be saved, but man, just as by fire. But that's not the general believer. That's not the way you should look upon your life. You should realize with Paul, the Lord knows all your inner motivations, so there's a total honesty before the Lord. In fact, Paul talks in some other sections about judge yourself now. Open yourself to the, to the, the searchlight of God's work in your life now. Be an open person now. Then you don't have anything to fear. If you've already allowed the Lord to expose the terrible attitudes you have, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to clean up your act. If you're already open when your motivation becomes jealous or covetousness or anger or hatred begins to dominate your life. If you open your heart to the Holy Spirit, then the judgment is taking place in your life now. And the Lord one day will praise you. Do you realize how priceless you are to God? The Lord was patient with disciples that actually ate with him when he rose again from the dead. The Lord was patient with disciples that were able to hug him. Like Thomas. Thomas the doubter that says, man, I'm not going to believe until I thrust my hand into his side. The Lord was patient with a guy who had that kind of objective evidence. And in John's gospel, the Lord says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you'll open your heart to God, if you allow him to evaluate yourself now, with Paul, you can say, well, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't determine the final judgment. The final judgment rests with the Lord. And at that day, we'll receive praise from him. In fact, I think that's the essence of what the New Testament, it's one thing I know for sure 
about the rewards before Christ. There's a lot of debate about what kind of rewards the Lord's going to give us. Sometimes I think it's like a theological wheel of fortune. You know, what are the prizes going to be? The Lord doesn't really tell us what the prizes are going to be. In fact, you know, if we knew what the prizes are going to be, what would jewels be in heaven? Maybe we wouldn't even want jewels then. Maybe they won't mean anything then. But one thing I know that will mean something then is the praise of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying that one day when his true children stand before him and all the motivations, all the realities of our heart are laid bare, we will each receive the praise from the Son for what we've genuinely done through the power of his Spirit working within us. It's going to be a great day. A great day of having the Son of God praise us and it'll all be because of grace. So we all turn it back on him and it'll be one gigantic praise gathering. The reason I want you to get a hold of that is that often we talk about believers cutting the mustard, believers suffering, believers disciplining themselves, but we never give them a hope. We never give them the joy. We never give them the reason to endure. And I want every young person, every teenager, every adult to realize that the reason we want to follow Christ is he's the ultimate lover. He's the ultimate affirmer. He's the one that just totally as a free act of grace gave you himself. And as you respond to that love, you'll have something that's worth living for and worth dying for. You know, the principle is this. Don't usurp the Lord's right to judge by having a critical spirit towards spiritual leaders in the present. The Corinthians had a bad problem. You know, when we gather together, the Lord's been so gracious to us. I've never gotten together on a Sunday morning where there was ice in the air. I've never had people standing up in this section and cussing down somebody in this section. I've never had somebody in this section stand up and start yelling, you shut up, man, you don't know what you're talking about. But you know, that happens to churches. It does happen to churches. In fact, some pastor friends of mine are going to meet with a bunch of other pastors to try to figure out how to have relationships with their elders because of the elder-pastor conflict. It's a big problem. Pastors are trying to figure out how to get along with elders. And elders are trying to figure out how to get along with pastors. You know what the problem is? We've all got to get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There's lots of reasons for why these conflicts develop. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. These pastors weren't perfect. Those churches aren't perfect. But something tragic starts to happen when we start to become the critical judges. We're not talking about false teaching here. We're talking about interpersonal relationships. And I find in my own life, a critical spirit is like a smoke that comes over me. You ever have that? Anybody ever deal with that? It happens in your marriage. It happens in church relationships. Little misunderstandings come up. And they begin to gnaw on you. Little failures that someone does to you. It easily happens to a pastor. And a critical spirit starts to well up. And you know what we start to do? We start making ourselves the judge. You know what Paul is saying? 
every one of us need to realize there is a judge. It's not me, and it's not you. It's Jesus Christ, and we're all in this together. You know, if I could only get across this idea to some of you, as I look at our church family, just to applying it to friendship relationships, you know that some of you in your friendships tear one another apart? You know why? Because you let another friend be your judge. You ever do that? You let some other friend determine what you're going to do. And then you get angry because you disagree with them or they disagree with you. And then it breaks up relationship. You can see it happen over minor points of theology. You'll have a pastor that just takes off and rather than speaking a balanced verse-by-verse teaching of the Word of God, they get off on some tangent every single week. We hear the same thing. Instead of letting the word of God direct us, and then another group in the family will start getting down on that, and this friction comes. But 1 Corinthians is helping us to grow. It's warning us about problems before they develop. It's telling both you and me, Jesus is the judge, and that means there's freedom because he knows the total truth about things. He knows where each one of us is. No one else can evaluate me before the Lord. You know what else it means? It means we're all in this together. One day we'll all stand together before the throne of the Lord. And he will praise us. And the goal in our Christian life is to build one another up. We're in the same body. There's no competition in the body. We're all serving him together. And he will reward every single one of us according to his grace and his mercy. And all a church family like the Lord is teaching you that gets a hold of that is able to overcome. Our church family has had conflict. You can ask the God and the elder deacon. In fact, some of you, I want to say this, some of you don't want to become elders and deacons because you don't want to get involved in the conflict. Don't make decisions like that. It's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Some of you are maturing in the Lord. You're growing in the Lord. You ought to become an example within the family of God. Don't retreat from conflict. It's okay. I want to share with you, contrary to what maybe some of your brothers say, contrary to what some of you might have heard about the ministry, I want to say, I love the pastor. Sure, I want to quit at times. Sure, you get on my case. Sometimes I want to get away from all of you. And I know you want to get away from me. But I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I wouldn't trade you. I wouldn't trade being able to be with God's people for anything. I would not. You are the most precious group of people on earth by grace. I couldn't get away from the pastorate if I wanted to. And what I I covet for every one of you is what Paul has talked about in this passage gives me great freedom in my life. I'm not frightened. I'm not scared. You say, Dave, the the pastorate is such such a chaotic thing. It's such a tenuous thing. Join the human race. Everything on earth is. Nothing's sure in this life. But you know what is sure? The Savior has a place for us. And what keeps my life going is I know that I'm gifted to do what I'm doing right this minute. And I want to share with you, I work very, very hard to do what I do. My priority 
is that when I open up 1 Corinthians 4, that I know what those verses are saying. I don't unload all the Greek on you because I don't think that'll help you. But I go through every single word in the Greek text, if it's in the Old Testament, the Hebrew text, because those are the skills that the Lord has given me. You say, Dave, why do you do that? Because when I sit here and I open up the book, I want you to know that I have listened to the Holy Spirit and I've used the abilities in his family that he has given me to teach you the ideas of God in the text. And I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that those ideas will carry us home. That they're going to bring us into the kingdom. They're phenomenal revelations from God. And that's the responsibility of a teacher. And I want to just thank you because I get one letter after another where you express thanks for telling us what the text says. Thanks for telling it with conviction. Thanks for having the courage and having the discipline to study the Holy Word of God so that we can know it. And I want to share with you that if Jesus tarries, I think we've just begun to see the impact that that simple childlike dependence upon the revelation of God, what it will do. Some of you are just new in the family. You've just begun to see the joys of the Holy Spirit, having those special moments of the nearness of God. But I want you to know as you grow older and believing in the biblical revelation, that instead of having conflict, instead of having your life torn apart by religious dissension, instead you'll grow towards a glorious day when your one and only Savior will see you face to face and he will praise you. Let's summarize quickly. We've covered just the first part, but I want all of you in your church experience to understand the most important thing that a teacher in God's family can do is to be a keeper of the holy revelation. That's what I meant. I don't have authority in myself. I only have authority as I listen to the apostle through the power of the Spirit reveal the truth. It doesn't make any difference what God's people think. The key is faithfulness. The responsibility is faithfulness to God. All of us need to remember the judge is Jesus Christ. And he will judge the inside, not just the outside. So we never usurp the Lord's right to judge by having a critical spirit towards spiritual leaders in the present. The rule in verses 6 and 7 that we close with, don't go beyond what is written. It's not my speculation. It's not my creative insights. It's the simple, clear, written revelation of the Word of God. God's inspired revelation is the Scripture. It is all we need to grow to spiritual maturity.